Abba, Father, we thank you for this Good Friday. We thank you for this day where you, your Son, <coughs> and the Holy Spirit brought our salvation. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us up so we can hear your word preached and rightfully celebrate this good day. Amen. Please be seated. So it's easy on Good Friday to imagine that we stand alongside our crucified Lord and Savior with John and Mary. It's easy to imagine ourselves faithfully crying and mourning his death and loss. But to speak for myself, this is too good of me to imagine myself in this way. I know that I am not that faithful, and maybe that's true for you. If anything, I would be like one of the disciples who ran away. Maybe I'm hiding in an upper room, like the one that I just celebrated the Passover in. Perhaps we're going out of Jerusalem, slinking down the road that we triumphantly walked down a few days ago. I know that I would have run away. What about you? And our physical posture reveals something about our hearts. We've rejected Jesus, our shepherd. We're willfully strained sheep. We are faithless friends who have abandoned our master to his death. And who can imagine someone dying for someone like that? And yet, amazingly, Paul says in Romans 5, 7, and I paraphrase, it is exceptional that someone would be so self-sacrificial as to give up their life for a good person. But no one would die for such a bad person. But that's exactly what Jesus did. That is what we see portrayed in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. But God showing his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And in our whole Isaiah passage this afternoon, the prophet foretells a vision of God's mysterious work of salvation And on Good Friday, this vision is fulfilled. And it is fulfilled in our absence. As we hide, as we run, as we slink away, Jesus, the true suffering servant, dies for us so that we can have life in him. So as we hide, as we are away from the cross, let us turn to Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, and consider how Christ's death reveals humanity's desperate plight and the triune God's work of salvation. Let me ask you a question. What is the clearest picture of humanity's sin and evil? Some might look to images of the Holocaust, and rightfully so, or World War I, or the various genocides throughout the modern period. But if we attend to scripture, the clearest image of humanity's sin and evil is is one death. It's the death of Christ Jesus on the cross. Why is that? Not because it's the most painful way to die or, or the most horrific death in history. There are worse ways to die. 
is the clearest picture because on the cross, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God incarnate, dies. If if God had to come and deal with something himself in our flesh, then something must be terribly wrong. Think about it this way. Imagine you are in a desperate combat on the field of battle, and the enemy crowds around you, and you are feeling yourself slipping into exhaustion and despair. You know things are are pretty bad. And then, to your horror, you see your general arriving on the field of battle. In this moment, you realize this is far worse than I have imagined. If he is drawing swords with me and bringing the weight of his authority to the battle, things are way worse than we could ever imagine. So friends, the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of God himself in human flesh, means that things are truly desperate. Or in movies, when heroes sacrifice themselves to save the day, it shows that this was the only way that this could happen. Salvation could only be brought around by death. And in Isaiah 53, we catch a glimpse of what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross. And we explicitly see that he takes our sin, transgression, pain, iniquity, sorrow on himself. The fact that only God could deal with our sin reveals how sinful we really are. He goes to the very depths of our brokenness because we are unable to save ourselves. And if we're honest, saving ourselves is all we really want to do. We're kind of like a a hungry child who wants to eat by themselves, but they don't have the the fine motor skills to pick up a fork. They try to use the fork to get the food in their mouths, and it all goes everywhere. If you've had young children, you know what this looks like. That's what we look like as we try to save ourselves. Or maybe it's just not as bad as as this death looks. Maybe we could save ourselves if if our plight was just a patch-up job on the punctured tire of humanity. If this is just a a quick outpatient surgery, maybe we could just skip the procedure and stitch ourselves up at home. But we look to the cross and realize that the fact that the Son of God became human to die for us shows us that our situation is more desperate than we can imagine. And we see this in Isaiah 53. We are like sheep who reject and ignore their shepherd. And this rebellion, this rejection of our shepherd is in fact slavery because we can't stop rejecting Jesus. If we could, if we could just make ourselves a little better, we wouldn't need to be saved. But friends, as we run away, as we hide, as we slink down the road, we realize that our self-help cannot manage our sin. We are rebels enslaved to rebellion. We are traitors who can't help but be traitors. We are like Peter, who denies that he will deny Jesus, and then without thinking or even noticing what he's doing, denies him three times. Who here hasn't said, I know that this is wrong, and I'm not going to do it? I'm not. But then, almost without thinking, without realizing what you're doing, you do it anyways. 
we are enslaved to our rebellion. And friends, we can spend most of our lives deceiving ourselves, thinking we're okay. And friends, that's why we, in our desperate plight, need to not look at ourselves, not look at our own sin, our own guilt. We need to look to the cross. Because it is only there that we see how desperate we truly are. But things, friends, are also hopeful. Because as we stand off away from him, as we sulk in an upper room, walk down the road, Jesus dies for us. In our absence, apart from anything that we can do, apart from our presence at his death, the Son of God incarnate takes our sin and makes it his own. In Isaiah, 53, in Isaiah 53, we see a hint of how God accomplishes this. One commentator notes that in, in this section of, of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 55, the masculine pronoun he is predominantly used in reference to Yahweh, the, God of, the Lord God of Israel. But in Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, this pronoun is applied to the suffering servant. The servant is closely identified with the God of Israel. It is as if the Lord God of Israel is present in his suffering servant as his servant takes the sins of Israel on himself. Friends, this points us to the great mystery of our faith. That Jesus is both fully God and fully man and one person. And this fact makes this this reality makes the substitution witness to in Isaiah 53 possible. Because if Jesus isn't fully God and fully man, we cannot be saved. Now friends, I'm afraid that at this point I've fallen into the world of theology and I might have lost you. Hear that again. If Jesus isn't both fully God and fully man, we cannot be saved. Go home. There's nothing to celebrate here. There's nothing to remember here. If he is not fully God, he cannot save us because only God is capable of dealing with the sin that we cannot deal with ourselves. If he is not fully man, he can't stand in our place. He can't take on our sin and suffering and punishment. As theologian Derek Rashamwe of Christianity Today explains, it is only with the doctrine of the incarnation that it dawns on us that the one who is pleased the Lord to cr- who, who it pleases the Lord to crush is not merely a hapless righteous surrogate but the one God of Israel himself the holy eternal son took upon himself the flesh of the servant for us and for our salvation the Lord elects himself to bear our burden The Lord sends himself to die on our behalf. And while we reject our shepherd, Jesus does not reject us. He loves us infinitely and extravagantly. He enters into our broken world and takes all our sin and suffering and shame and guilt and the punishment that is due for all the pain and death that we've caused 
and he takes it on himself. This is what we see in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. As the Holy Spirit paints for us a picture of the suffering servant taking Israel's sins, making them his own. It is brought to fulfillment and expanded on the cross of Christ. For the incarnate Son of God takes all of our sins and makes them his own to destroy them. Friends, this is the mystery of Good Friday. God the Son incarnate takes our sin and makes them his own to bear them away. As the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. Because he loves us. He makes us his beloved in Jesus Christ. While we rebel, while we are enslaved to rebellion, he takes our rebellion and forgives it and heals it and accepts us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we walk away from him, while we consider him stricken and afflicted, while we retreat in fear, he saves us. He he heals our wounds and gives us his peace. So Jesus on the cross reveals the depths of our sin and he deals with it by self-substituting himself for us. He took what was ours and brought it to an end, but that is not the end. For he didn't just destroy sin, he gave us something much greater. He takes the rags of our rebellion and gives us the robes of eternal communion with God. He heals our wounds and gives us his peace. This is the gift of salvation, the free gift that needs not and cannot be earned. We can't earn it because it is infinitely good. This is the grace of God in Christ Jesus for all who believe. So as children of God, he He gives us his peace, as we see in Isaiah. When we trust in Christ, either for the first or hundredth time, the inexplicable desire to rebel is replaced with peace, fullness of life, contentment in Jesus. In Jesus, we are no longer rebels, but children. No longer strange sheep, but sheep who know and hear the shepherd and follow him. We are given the life-giving peace of God, and become agents of that peace. And as children of God, we are also being healed. The sin that Jesus took from us on the cross is forgiven and dealt with, and throughout the Christian life is healed in our hearts. Friends, we are infinitely loved, and that is the space where God heals us in. Until the final day when all shall be well in Christ Jesus. And friends, while this free gift is truly free, let us not think it cheap. It is also obliging, as theologian John Barclay puts it. Because children of God, receiving the peace and healing of God means we are called to live that peace and healing in faith. This may sound too simple, too easy, too unbelievable, but this is the unbelievable good news of Good Friday. So as we sneak out of Jerusalem and hide in the upper room, 
Let us hear the gospel and believe that apart from anything that we've done, in our very absence, Christ has died for us. Stand up. Walk out. Turn around. And behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Behold God incarnate hanging on the cross for you. Let us taste that infinite gift he has given us and allow him to turn our hearts and minds away from the sin that is no longer ours but his and is no longer at all for it has been crucified with him. Let us receive this infinite gift, his healing, his peace, his love, his life as children of God and walk in the way, this way, to his glory. I said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.